It's Monday, January 6th, 2020. And today, Tommy and I talk with Bo George about productivity as it relates to giving users guest access to Office 365. I hope you enjoy this. Hi, and welcome to the Work Together Better podcast. This is your host, Danny Ryan. This is Three Will's official podcast about enterprise collaboration, how people, process, and technology combine to help organizations, departments, and teams work together better. Hello, and welcome to the Work Together Better podcast. I'm here today with uh, Bo George. Hey, Bo. Hey, hey, Danny. Hey, Tommy. And Tommy Ryan. Hey, Tom. Welcome back. We're just coming back from the holidays and started up a new year here. And uh, this is a actually a follow-up um, podcast on um, Office 365 and giving guests access. I think uh, what Tommy and I recognized was that maybe it would be good to pull in a couple of three-wheel experts to this uh, to this particular topic. And so from the productivity side of things, we're pulling in Bo, uh, Bo George uh, for some uh, more details around things. But we'll probably end up do this more often this year as Tommy and I have fewer answers to the questions. Just pull you guys in as we need, if that's okay. That's cool with me, yeah. <laughs> excellent, excellent. So the follow-up to the conversation where we were talking about, um, you know, sort of what we've been doing a lot on projects with regards to uh, giving guests access and um, wanted you to find out from you sort of some of the things that are the important topics from the standpoint of, of productivity. Can you sort of get us kicked off with what some things maybe that you've seen uh, going on in projects and what as, as, as it relates to, to productivity? Sure. So, you know, um, guest access, there's a there's a lot to it. Um, but uh, in terms of SharePoint, productivity specifically in SharePoint productivity and uh, guest users access versus a tenant based users access is almost exactly the same. I mean, if you give a guest user access to your site to be an owner, a contributor or a visitor, you know, it's it's going to be the same as a tenant user, which uh, is great inside of, you know, SharePoint proper. Um, so and then uh, teams uh, um, similar similar experience guest users are are really pretty pretty much first class citizens in a in a team and can do all the the, the normal stuff other members of that team um, can do. I think uh, when you get into some of the the other products is where the water gets a little bit more muddy in terms of stuff like the power platform and stream and some of those things that get layered into those products. But SharePoint proper, it's yeah. it's been awesome um, in terms of being able to collaborate with people as a guest user. So. so it's pretty it's pretty straightforward from a SharePoint standpoint, but then when you start looking, so they nailed that. But there's some other things that we'll probably have to take a look at as we're starting using other other products from Microsoft. Yeah, it's that it's it's the historical Microsoft and licensing conundrum that hits everybody, um, and and it it being a guest in somebody else's tenant only exacerbates that conundrum. So okay. Cool. Well, tell me a little bit more about what's what is um, what's the, what are the concerns with regards to licensing? 
Um, you know, so SharePoint itself is is really good as a collaboration platform. And with a lot of our customers, we've built a lot of intranets. Um, and and obviously, as soon as you start building an intranet in today's world, you're going to probably want video. Um, mm -hmm. And so w with customers, we've had that video conversation. If it's a it's if if everybody that's going to your internet is a part of your tenant, video seems a pretty simple thing. You know, if you have stream licensed, put them in stream, then they're secured to your tenant and people show them. Yeah. Um, but if you're an organization where maybe you have guest users, maybe you're a multi-tenant organization and you have users in another tenant, that question gets a little bit more slippery. And so a lot of those customers, it may be that um, you you continue to do videos in YouTube or private channels or uh, Vimeo, um, where there's sort of a, a very complex link that that's not easily discoverable. A lot of companies have been doing that for their corporate communication portals. Okay. Um, and so that that all still works um, in SharePoint. And that that's a like a stopgap for stream licensing in that case. Okay. Um, we, we did, Will, Will Holland, I have to give him a shout out. When we were at Ignite this past November, we went to the stream team with that question. And um, they did tell us that next year, well, now it's this year, um, they were going to be adding like anonymous links for stream so that it could be opened up and stuff like that. So I know that Microsoft has heard the guest challenge with stream and uh, I think they're working towards it to, to making that better. So. Excellent. Excellent. What other apps are you noticed some things uh, that you had to, to, to work around? Um, power platforms, another big one. Uh, some things will work for people um, in the power platform. Like as a, as a user, as a guest user, I can run flows. Um, you know, if I, add a list item and a flow has to run behind that, then that that should work fine. But say you have a power app um, that you built as a Canvas app, that mm -hmm. won't work for guest users um, because of the licensing. So regardless of in my tenant that I have access to the power platform, I go into a, in somebody else's and then I can't use it. So, um, so that's a challenge. Now, Microsoft is addressing that for, there's sort of two types of power apps. There's the ones that are your Canvas app. They're sort of a full-blown. And then there's the ones where you've customized a SharePoint list form, um, uh -huh. um, and that happens quite a bit. And the the scenario where you customize a SharePoint list form is one that they're working to support. It I, I don't know it's it's coming out pretty soon, but that one would be like if you have a SharePoint list and you've put a really fancy form on top of that list entry, um, then that will work for guests soon, if not already. I have to look at the the roadmap for that one. Um, so awesome. So that, that's another biggie that seems to come up. That that was a uh, I, I tripped over that one like a year and a half ago for a customer where I built a power app and then they said, "Hey, we have a bunch of guest users." I was like, "Uh oh." <laughs> so, and it looks like I guess from project work as well, you've got uh, you guys have sort of picked up this. You, your um, Will's created a spreadsheet, sort of like the different features that are out there and. Boy, this sounds like something maybe uh, maybe we could uh, I know Will's been putting some blog posts out, but this might be a good little downloadable off of our site. But uh, tell me more about what that is. Yeah, we'll, like uh, for for one of our customers who's a multi-tenant, Will invested a, a good bit of time using his developer tenant and then like his three will account access, accessing that as a guest to really 
um, get to the meat of what happens when you're a guest using applications in somebody else's tenant and you uh-huh. know what's that experience like, what are the potholes and all that sort of stuff. So that spreadsheet he did was it was really awesome, and I I look back at it quite a bit. Um, you know, sometimes it's licensing will change and affect it, but it's it's really robust for you know, hey, I'm a guest user, I'm opening an Excel document that's over in my customer's tenant. What is what does that mean? And it's going to actually use my Office apps um, permissions or you know my uh, Outlook or I mean not my Outlook but my say my Excel or Word clients. It's going to open in mine, so I might get prompted to log in again or whatever. Um, so there's certain things with office apps that will use your license within your tenant and your products. Um, mm-hmm. and then there's things like the power apps and then there's just normal SharePoint stuff or the admin center. We, we are oftentimes a SharePoint administrator in our customer's tenant. So, you know, he vetted that stuff to see, well, what, what's that like? And then obviously I, we talked about stream. Um, he even went so far as to talk about Kaizala, which really doesn't seem to have a guest component to it. Um, and I think maybe one day that'll just get rolled into Teams. Um, and then, of course, Teams is another one. Probably that might be the most common guest user experience that people encounter because as soon as yeah. somebody sets up a team, they want to collaborate with somebody external. Works great for us. So he looked at all those features and um, and all the things that get layered in top of it, on top of a team, you know, a planner board and things like that. And so, you know, you can – be assigned tasks as a guest in somebody's tenant in the planner board and and edit those and things like that. So that spreadsheet's pretty robust, well thought through, and a really great job from Will putting that together. I'll have to they just remind, I'll have to follow up with him see if maybe that's a, a downloadable resource for us. For, um, sounds it sounds like it could be really helpful, um, and it's probably but it's probably but it's probably something we need to keep up to date as well. Yeah, yeah. The the licensing roadmap will continue to evolve. So Yeah. You almost want to wrap that with a blog post and have, say yeah. put comments below if you see anything that yeah. is out of date. We want to keep yeah. it up to date. Yep. Yeah. That's a great point. That's a great point. Um, tell me a little bit. I know we're not really focusing in on security, but tell me a little bit about um Azure AD groups and and how that plays into this. Yeah, that one was really top of mind with guest access because I was thinking about Uh multi-tenants and um, and in particular coming from the mindset that you're building an an intranet or a digital workplace on on, um, Office 365 in SharePoint Mm -hmm. and and where Office or excuse me, where Azure AD groups are really valuable are that it gives you sort of that single point of control. So I, you know, it, w- with my team who manages Azure AD, I could create an Azure AD group and call it employees, right? And that could actually literally represent people in multiple tenants if if we're in a sort of a, a converging multi-tenant scenario and everybody's not in the same tenant yet. Uh-huh. And so you can have guest users in there and they're, you know, they can be in your Azure AD groups and Office 365 groups in there, security or Office 365 groups. And you can also have your tenant users. And what I like about that is then when I'm securing, say I'm securing the leadership site. And in that site, I want to give access to leaders who are a member of multiple tenants. You know, maybe some are from one and some are for the other. Well, I can rely on that Azure AD group for the security. And I'm not, you know, adding uh, Bo at company one and um, Bob at acme.com and all that sort of stuff. It's It centralizes your control around security, which is the ideal scenario 
um, for that sort of stuff. So Azure AD groups are a great way to bridge that gap and manage your users in a centralized place and then use those groups inside of SharePoint. And what's really awesome about those is features that really started rolling out towards the end of uh, the third quarter, fourth quarter, audience targeting. I think uh -huh. everybody has it now. Mm -hmm. Well, those can be used for that as well. So, you know, it's with that same mindset of the employees group, say say you have a contractors and an employees and those span multiple tenants. Well, then I could target content to employees by using the employee Azure AD security group. And that means employee at company A, B, or C, tenant A, B, or C would see content that maybe contractor at A, B, or C wouldn't see. So another another right. great reason to leverage Azure AD groups. Yeah, that's how, that sounds like it, it not only helps with onboarding new people, but also with offboarding people as well. Right. You know, doing some of the cleanup, if it's all there in Azure AD, then you're, you know, you're getting them out, you know, you can point to one place for them and then you're not making user accounts across a bunch of, you know, a bunch of different places and, and sort of have one place to go to, to keep everything up to date, which, which is definitely, uh, you know, probably easier to maintain security that way. Um, what other sort of like uh, guest considerations that are out there? Well, uh, you, you know, this this tiptoes into security a little bit, but uh, that's fine. You, you know, can step on you can step on Pete's toes. I'm fine. Yeah, I'm sure Pete, Pete will have to find that. something else to talk about. But you know, um, <laughs> in thinking about, you know, put, putting myself in the you, the shoes of sort of a SharePoint administrator uh -huh. or um, even an Azure AD administrator, one of their concerns is how far do I open up sharing, right? And and there's four knobs that Microsoft gives you um, at a tenant level. So you can say, well, you can share with anyone and that could be like a Gmail account, a Hotmail account, or you can say, well, new and existing um, people, um, okay. or excuse me, anyone would even be like an anonymous link, but new and existing means, hey, you know, even if, if the this person isn't a guest in my tenant yet, I could share with them, they could accept it. And then it sort of, creates a guest account in the tenant. So there's that new and existing. Um, and then there's existing only that says, hey, they have to exist in our tenant as a guest before you can share with them. And then our yeah. org only. So those those four knobs are really important um, when you consider the impacts on things like SharePoint and Teams, where um, customers we've worked with, are they typically end up in the new and existing scenario. Um, okay. Because teams, because if you don't do that, then every time you have a team and you want to invite a guest, you've got to go to your your IT organization to say add, you know, add Bose three will account so that he can be invited to this team, and that becomes a hassle, right? So that's why people typically end up in the the new and existing scenario. But that's at a tenant level, um, and you and and customers have you know kind of settled there often for teams and the the openness of collaboration there. Now, if you layer that down to a site level inside of SharePoint, you're going to have an intranet um, typically used for communication. So what you can still do at your site level is you can ratchet that back a little bit and say, oh, actually, for my intranet, I want it to be org only. So you can't invite guests to these intranet sites. Or if you're a multi-tenant, you might say, well, existing only. And in that scenario, you're a little bit tighter secured on your intranet sites than your tenant is um, because maybe your internet sites probably are going to have a little bit more sensitive information than a team, right? Um, or at least information that you don't want to leak. So existing only would then allow you to control it to say, well, you know, 
if if I want to invite Bo to this particular intranet site, he has to exist in my directory already. And if he doesn't, then that can't happen. You know, there's still some leakage potentially there because you invited somebody to Teams, they ended up in your tenant, and you got to worry about that scenario. And that's where sort of the, my my thought is the third prong of that approach is to leverage the security and compliance center, um, and get have alerts for when when uh, sharing to guests is done and specifically for the sites that you're most concerned about so you could ignore you know the sites that are backing your teams maybe because you, you're all right with those being open but maybe your intranet sites or specific intranet sites you can say make sure this isn't shared with anybody that isn't doesn't end with these domains and you can you know have powershell and jobs to kind of monitor that because you, you do you, you get stuck in a open risky situation just by the nature of those having those two those two sets of four levels um, granularity a little bit. So you have to have to be aware of it and careful with it. Good deal. What else? What else do we need to consider as we look at this? Um, well, uh, some, some areas of concern that customers have had when we were talking about multi-tenants were oftentimes it was audiences. Can people access the content? Um, which I think in inside of SharePoint, like I've I've never been happier that SharePoint does stuff better than other uh, other products inside of Microsoft. You know, the licensing doesn't seem to come in play there. So what I think is awesome about that is, uh, you know, I can be a guest in a customer's tenant. They can mm -hmm. make me a SharePoint admin and I can help them manage their farm or they can just make me um, maybe a site collection admin or a site owner. So the permissions are are great there. Um, mm -hmm. so I, I think it's a good story for internets. I, and I, I hope stuff like stream and power apps and stuff like that come along, uh, Microsoft forms thinking of another product. That one's pretty wide open. You can, you can already share Microsoft forms with anyone outside of your, your tenant even. So those are a good way to layer in stuff like surveys or questions. We, we have a customer we're working with now that uses a lot of Microsoft forms combined with flow to, you know, fill out maybe a, an event request or um, things like that, and then have it feed into a SharePoint list. So, um, gotcha. so I was, go ahead, I Tommy. Was say, yeah, I was going through your notes, Bo, and you had a comment around team walls. What's this team <laughs> walls all about? I, I knew that one would stir you. So, so this is not as fresh in my memory, but it, it's kind of the inverse of it. It's so at Ignite, I saw like, I saw it at least twice, or at least maybe I heard it once and then saw it once, but it, a team wall, if that's the right term for what they're calling it, is say you're in a highly, um, what's the right word, highly sensitive environment. I haven't worked in those, so I don't know, but they, the scenario they said was um, say you're like a stock company or whatever, and you don't want two traders to talk because maybe, maybe it actually opens you up to risk to insider trading or something like that, right? And you actually want to create a virtual wall between the two so that they can't use your technology to talk. Now, obviously, if they wander by the water cooler and talk, you can't really stop that. But at least your technology and teams, you can make it where they can't talk. And so the, what they showed is you could set up these boundaries and say, hey, you know, Bo's in bucket A and bucket A is not allowed to talk to bucket B and Tommy's in bucket B. And then inside of teams, when I tried to chat with Tommy – it actually acts like he doesn't even exist and I can't talk to him. And I thought that was kind of an interesting scenario to say, you know, I, I haven't been in those 
banking or maybe securities and, and um, exchange kind of things. But it makes a lot of sense. And that way, as a company, you can say, hey, we we put up the wall where these two couldn't talk. So we you know, we're, if some of this has gone on, it's it's those guys outside of work or whatever. You know, we haven't enabled it. We've actually disabled it. So um, that's interesting. I know uh, Coca-Cola, I believe, acquired Dr. Pepper and they were trying to keep their information separate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's value. And if they spun off Dr. Pepper, people would know that that information, the, the, you know, the secret sauce of that um, product line um, was never seen by Coke. It's just owned by Coke. Um, I don't yeah. know if there's a lot of scenarios like that, but it, it allows you to maybe keep this organization that maybe you're temporarily holding um, and treat it as though it's a separate company and, and create you know, some barriers to not allow you know, information to leak. Yeah, it was it, hearing it was it was there. I think the reason it stuck in my head is because I, you know, everything with collaboration tends to be openness and conversation with each other and all that sort of stuff. So to see Microsoft demonstrate it, ignite and talk about it, ignite a way to put up walls to collaboration means that somebody cares about it enough that Microsoft developed it for teams, you know, and maybe, maybe they're exploring it further, but it, uh, it is weird because it is that it's the antithesis of collaboration, it, you know. Yeah, it's, you've got, um, I think the company, one of the companies that we work with, the parent, there's a parent company and then a bunch of companies underneath that. And some of those companies compete with each other. So you've got to, even though you have a central IT, you can't have them sharing information across companies. So and probably in some of these highly regu- regulated industries, you run into t- scenarios like that as well. Um, so it's good. To, it's interesting, yeah, that they end up include this as one of the features that they're focusing in on. That that's great to see. It, well, I don't know why, but the visual it puts in my head is like a, a horse where they put those blinders on both sides so they can only see forward to run forward. They don't know who's beside them or whatever's going on. Just, just go forward. That, that's all you need to worry about. One last. Um, I've got one last question here, and Tommy, we'll go check with you see if you have anything to follow up. Um, what are we seeing? So we're we're talking in this in this case um, uh, about uh, giving a, uh, guests access. And so when I start thinking about that, I start thinking of a high level. What are a lot of our clients doing with that? Are they giving guest access to partners, to vendors, to customers? To like, what do we see? Is there is there anything that we're seeing, um, sort of the trend wise? Um, with regards to how people are using this. And, and right away, I start thinking like, as soon as I, I'm giving somebody access outside of my company, I start thinking, oh, we're moving from an intranet to an extranet type of thing. And it, it sounds like nowadays, it's like there there isn't such a clear distinguishing, like your intranet, <laughs> like people are sort of melding the two together. And I might be wrong with that, but it just sort of sounds like that's how things are going. You're not, you're, you're, your intranet, you might have portions of it that where you do give access to people outside your organization. Anything you're seeing as far as like who, who's, who's, who are, um, who are people are starting to provide to access? Is there, are we sort of seeing, is it starting with customers? Is it starting with partners, with vendors? What, are you, are we seeing anything there as far as trends? Um. So, so yeah, I think the lines between an intranet and an extranet are for sure blurring. Okay. Um, and 
you know, Microsoft also with guest access, one thing that I, I didn't mention at all is they, you know, they call it B2C and B2B. Um, okay. and, and I would certainly say, especially with teams and at least in our experience, but I've, I'm seeing it with others that B2B sort of scenarios where us and our three wheel tenant are collaborating with customers in their, their Azure tenants. That's like a very common thing. And it, I think it's led by teams um, which teams are backed by a SharePoint site. So there's aspects yeah. of that. Um, and then in terms of actual, what I call quote unquote intranets, which, you know, that's, you know, running in SharePoint typically, um, which is also the backing side of teams and that whole thing. But, uh, you know, intranets, th there are some extranet parts of that, but it tends to probably be si specific site collections and maybe not holistically the, the entirety of the intranet. Okay. Um, which that feeds into another feature coming from Microsoft that I think is important, which is I mentioned audience targeting earlier, and currently that's available for news articles and site pages and things like that where you can say, hey, this this content is targeted to these people. And soon, I think this quarter, they're going to have that for navigation, and that's good because you're going to have um, stuff like hub navigation that spans sites, and if you have a guest in there, then they're they're going to see like – what's all out there for them to access in that navigation. They're going to click on it, get access denied likely. And so the audience's stuff can help that as well. So that's just another reason for Azure AD groups, because then you could use them in your navigation so that Bo is a guest. Maybe I only see five things in the navigation, but as a, you know, a tenant user, maybe I see 50 or whatever. And so audiences will help with that sort of stuff too, to, to prevent prying eyes um, poking around from your navigation. So so the um, menus are like security trimmed. So if you don't have access to it, you don't see it. Yeah. Well, um, the nav will be security trimmed for the stuff on the site you're on. But okay. with hub navigation, you're typically linking. Um, I call it building bridges. So you're building a bridge from one site collection to another to another and all that. Um, and when you build those bridges, people know the bridges exist right now. So even though I don't have access to the leadership site, if that's in the navigation and it's another site, then I might be tempted to click on it. And then uh -huh. I find out I don't have access. And so audiences will be our way to to help trim that down to say, oh, yeah, you know, let's let's only show this link to this AD group. And we know that that AD group is what's securing that site, too. So, yeah, it seems like if you go outside of your hub, you can't security trim when you hop over to another hub. You're actually almost creating a link that doesn't pay attention to security. It's it's kind of a hard-coded link and the audiences say which hard-coded links do I want to hide so yeah. they, don't, they don't go to a place they don't have access to. Um, I guess it would be nice if the links going across hubs would be security trimmed and that way you wouldn't even have to use audiences if you want to mm -hmm. keep them out of things that see. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. That That's something that in, in the history of SharePoint has always been bad is cross-site collection linking and having mm -hmm. that security trimmed it's it's been really good about hey i'm linking to something within my site and you don't have access to that which back in the day you know we used to have sites and subsites and all that sort of stuff so that was really advantageous because if i didn't have access to a subsite then i didn't see the link to it um but now that the world is flat and we're more often than ever linking across site collections I think that audience targeting stuff is more important. It would be it would be awesome if it would trim a link if it knew it was a link within this tenant 
and you don't have permission to the destination, it trimmed it. But I think that that's probably a very expensive operation for SharePoint people to do in the background, yeah. which is which is why they punted. Mm -hmm. Put the onus back on us now to say you've got to create an audience for it and secure it yourself. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. It's just sort of going back to um, the. It's nice to see. So the, so people have their intranets, more formal intranets, where it's more of like read only. You're get you're providing someone's providing access where people can get uh, what's going on within the company. And what you're saying here with Teams, it's it's um, is is that's the place where maybe you're working together in a team that's trying to go get something done, and you have an outside someone you need to work with outside the company. You're seeing that sort of as Teams is taking off, that's more of the place where people are getting external access to work with the people you know outside the company, and that's sort of helping to uh, to provide a way for people outside your organization to work with you. So it's not maybe not so much a, an extra net that they're going to access, but they're getting access to a team within your organization. Sort of like what, uh, and I think we're, what we do with clients as well, you know, set up a team with them and we collaborate with them there. It sounds like that's sort of the, the extra net somewhat being replaced by teams. It's sort of like you're, the extra net is teams. It's you give the access there, you work with the people there, but there's not like a formal, like you would have with an intranet that's a homepage, but more of like your teams as you're trying to get work done. Is that kind of summarize what you're saying or any any subtleties you would make with that? I, I think everything you said is fair. Te teams is probably the largest conduit of a, an extranet collaboration scenario that we've, we've known and done before. Okay. I think the, ex the exception is if you have an intranet that you feel needs to be guest facing, um, and and the the scenario that probably comes to mind most is somebody who's a multi-tenant sort of company, where they have an intranet and they have they already have companies that are already in other tenants. Then that might be the scenario where guest access to your quote-unquote intranet um, outside of Teams, which which theoretically means it's an extranet, right? Because it's yeah. a you're exposing it, but you're really exposing it to just tenants that are kind of well known to you. Um, okay. But the, the idea of an extra net that's sort of wide open to all your partners and all that kind of stuff is probably lessened because it's more specific to a team where you're going to collaborate with partner A and team A and you're going to collaborate with partner B and team B. And it's not like this wide open internet to those those sort of scenarios, probably. Cool. Well, I could probably pick your brain. You were talking about anonymous access earlier. I have some questions about that, but I, let's just wrap it up with that. <laughs> I think this is great information. I think um, this is a great subject. I think what's what's exciting to hear more about with this is with the whole concept of of work together better, it really gets exciting when you see clients not just work inside their organization, but also outside their organization. And it's it's a lot. I mean, that that's it, nowadays um, that's the way that work gets done. And so enabling this through teams and enable, you know, once once we give them this access to work together, then we get to do all the fun stuff around workflows and all the, you know, building apps with them that they're getting access to all this great stuff that we can do on shop on top of uh, Office 365 sort of starts with this. And we're no longer talking about just staying inside the organization. I think that's the exciting thing for us in this upcoming year. I, I started smiling because for some reason the way you said that made me think my my developer plug would uh -huh. be 
if if we build it in a SharePoint framework solution, then it's going to respect the SharePoint permissions, and then we don't have to worry about this whole guest thing or not. We just have gotcha. to worry about do you have SharePoint permission? Gotcha. That's just no. <laughs> That's I, you know, good. That's good, yeah. right? I mean, we've we've had it before in the past where it was somebody didn't think through this, and uh, we therefore we had to code to scenario use cases that somebody didn't think about. It sounds like it's pretty. They've done a good job with that. Uh, the team has put a, put together something uh, well there, so that's great to hear. Yeah, well, yeah. and and that's actually what I had to do for the the customer where I built the Power App, and then they said, "Oh yeah, we're you know we're gonna have 300 people that are guests accessing this," and I was like. Okay, well, I guess I have to do this as a SharePoint framework solution. I gotcha. cried a little bit, but I was more happy. Gotcha. Anything else, Tommy, before we wrap up? No, sounds good. Enjoyed this. Is great, uh, Bo. Some tech stuff from Bo. Makes me happy. <laughs> Thanks. This was great, Bo. Thank you for taking the time to do this, and uh, we really appreciate that. We'd love to pull, we'll pull you in later on this year as we get in, in over our heads and find some different subjects where we feel like you could help out. But uh, thank you for all the hard work that you put on projects. I think it's an exciting year. It's a good time to be at Three Will. It's a good time. I think just we're, some of the projects we're taking on are, are pretty awesome. And uh, we love having what you're doing and finding out what you're doing on these projects. So thank, thanks for all that you do, Bob. No problem. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks so much for listening and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Work Together Better podcast. We're available on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you're looking for a partner to help you craft a modern digital workplace on the Microsoft Cloud, please come by and see us at threewill.com. That's the number three spelled out, W-I-L-L dot